Are you ready for God's Word? Well, grab your Bible then and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Now, we'll stand here in just a minute because we stand just to honor the Word of God. But let me give you kind of the, the, the backdrop of Ephesians and not all of it, but just kind of what's applicable to what we're talking about today. Um, but Paul writes uh, four letters. They're known as the, the prison epistles. They're ladder, letters. Um, and he writes them from prison. Most theologians believe it was his first Roman imprisonment, so that puts it around 60 AD. If you want to remember this, like, like this is not on the test for today, but it might be tomorrow. Um, but if you want to remember the prison epistles, if you can just think of Pepsi, not that I would ever endorse really drinking Pepsi. I'm a Coke man myself, but, um, but anyways, if you're a Pepsi drinker, praise the Lord for you. You know, the Lord's with you. I'm not, not saying he, I, I don't think God prefers Coke to Pepsi, but Pastor Marty does. You understand what I'm saying? Anyways, um, but Pepsi, and so it's Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, and Colossians, Pep. See, right? So, uh, so anyway, so he writes these four letters in prison. Most theologians think he was in prison uh, in Rome. His first Roman imprison, imprisonment was so that had been like 60 AD. Um, there is some scholarship towards possibly a Caesarean imprisonment. Um, and there is a, at least a good working theory that he actually could have been in prison in Ephesus uh, because he was there nearly three years. And because he talks about leaving Ephesus and wanting to go to Spain, which we know Paul does go to Spain. It was his fourth missionary journey. Uh, most people are familiar with the three, but he did actually go. We just don't have a lot of writing from it, but he did go to Spain. Um, and uh, he, one of the things he's talking about, Philemon in particular, while he's in prison, he's writing. Um, Philemon is a slave that has run away. And so Paul's trying to help. Now, I just want a, a biblical timeout here uh, because I hear, hear a lot of people. Um, do y'all know what a straw man is? Do y'all understand in an argument if you want a straw man, what you do is you embellish a weak argument for the other person that's really not legitimate and then knock it down, right? And so there's a lot of straw men when people want to debate Christianity. They, they kind of raise up some very out of context and silly things that they don't take context for, and then they knock it down and say, aha, Christianity is stupid. Um, one of the things they do is they raise up, well, you know, I couldn't serve a God who is, endorses slavery. Um, but you have to understand, slavery in the Bible is very, very different than what we experienced here in America, um, which was grotesque and gruel and brutal. Um, especially in the New Testament, when you're talking about Philemon, um, a slave in, in the New Testament was someone that had no way to provide for themselves or their family. And so they would find, essentially, it's like an employee. Um, it's like, con, it's a contract. So they would find someone of means or whatever and say, hey, I will be your bond servant is really probably another, um, another probably a better way to interpret it many times. In fact, Paul talks about being a bondservant of Christ. So what is a bondservant? The reason you use bondservant is because culturally it would have made sense. That means I am choosing of my own volition to be a servant in your house because I can't provide for myself or my family. So if I come serve you, you pay me and, and help take care of my family. And, and do you see it? So it's very different. Anyways, I just sometimes like to point those things out. Um, but anyway, so, so Philemon is about a slave that's run away. And, when, and we were talking about could have been written in uh, Ephesus. And one of the, the theories is Paul says he's going to go to Spain, which would in west. But he also says he's going to visit um, uh, Philemon, which would have been east. So there's a contradiction. And was he going east or west? Well, you know, he went west. And then his exchanges with uh, Onesius, who was the slave owner, 
Um, and so that's why some people think it could have been written and he could actually been in prison in Ephesus. So I just like for you to know there are multiple theories because another thing people say is, well, in this, like, I've never heard that. So the Bible's not true. No, there's a lot of things about the Bible that, you know, are interesting and intricate and it's very fluid and, and those type of things. Um, and so Paul wasn't writing Ephesians as biographical information. Um, so he was writing Ephesians to, to address the Ephesians. And it's probably really a circular letter. So in Ephesians chapter 2, what we're going to read and what's really important for today is Ephesus was this wild city that was considered like the metropolis, first metropolis, first major metropolis of like Asia Minor. Um, and it had a population of 200,000 people, which put it like the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. Um, and uh, it was a major, lots of trade routes went in and out of Ephesus. And so you had a lot of diverse culture. And so in biblical terms, we typically think, because when we're reading the Bible, the Bible is written to Jews primarily. And so we kind of think in terms of Jews and Gentiles. Well, when you go to Ephesus, it's in the Greco-Roman world. So you have Roman government, Greek influence, um, but also you have a lot of indigenous people groups and other people groups that have come from other places because Ephesus is such a, um, uh, such a, incredible city, growing city, lots of trade, prosperous city, all these things. So Paul is writing to the Ephesians, um, and and it's a melting pot of cultures, and it's a melting pot of ideas. And, and then ultimately, he's talking to Christians, and when it comes to Christians, you have Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. So you have, everybody understand you have Orthodox Judaism, which does not believe Jesus is the Messiah, Messianic Jews who do believe, who are Jewish, but believe Jesus is the Messiah, and, and then you have everybody else and whatever they believe. And all of that is what's going on in Ephesus. And what Paul is trying to do, and the overarching theme of the book of Ephesus, okay, the overarching theme is you've got to mature, but you will not mature if you don't get in unity and come together. So what he's saying, so the first three chapters of, of Ephesians are about kind of, um, if you will, our position in Christ, what Christ has done, right? The, next, the last three chapters are about our practice in Christ, like what do we do? And Paul's overarching theme essentially is you got to grow up to be who God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do. And you can't grow up without the body of Christ and being unified with the body of Christ. So he's saying, you got to get in unity so you can grow up. That's, that's the book of Ephesians, right? And so with that stand, and we're going to read several verses here from Ephesians chapter 2. Um, and we're going to talk about it together. And, and then we're going to go have some fun. Um, so Ephesians 2 verse 11, it says, Therefore remember... That at one time you Gentiles in flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. So time out. Paul is he's leveling the playing field here because the Greeks were saying to the Jews, like, you're pagans because you don't worship our idols and don't live in our cities. And then the Jews are saying to the Greeks, you're pagans because you have those idols and because you do these things. And Paul levels the playing field by saying, you Jews are holding up um, the practice of circumcision, which is not necessary in Christ. Circumcision is not what makes us partakers of the covenant. Christ does. This is old covenant versus new covenant. But he said, you're holding up this concept of, or this practice of circumcision, which we're not going to all get up in you know, for a lot of reasons. But what he's saying 
is this is something that's done by human hands and idols are also made by human hands. And so he's leveling the playing field that easy you Jews, you are just as guilty of things, holding up things in front of God and having your own practices and your own, your own pitfalls like anyone else. And so that's the point that he's making. Verse 12, remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility Paul specifically you know ex- explicitly referencing a wall in the temple that Gentiles could not go beyond to worship but Jews could and he's saying hey Christ has broken down this wall ironically Paul was actually condemned by the Jews for taking an Ephesian man. They said, the accusation was he took an Ephesian man into the temple beyond this wall. His name was Trophius. Um, But we don't know if he did, but that's what he's accused of. But he's saying Christ has abolished this wall, that we can worship together. We can be as one. There shouldn't be hostility. Um, By abolishing the law, the commandments expressed in ordinances, this is verse 15, so he's abolished the, the law of commands, expressed in ordinances, that he might create himself one new man. Now, he's actually talking about peoples, right? One new group of people, you could say, in place of the two former group of people, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace, you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, right? Do you see that? The Father. So underline that. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You can underline household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Um, Today, because it's Groups Day and we have a friends theme, I thought I would title my message kind of inform with friends. And so if you're a friends person, it will make sense. And if not, it will still make sense. It just won't be as funny. Uh, But anyways... I called this message, The One Where We Become Family. The One Where We Become Family. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your grace, for your love, for your goodness. God, for the word of God. Today, Lord, we've gathered in your house, so speak to us clearly. Transform our hearts and lives as we open your word together. And help us, Lord, cause us by the power of your grace and spirit to never be the same again. But from glory to glory, faith to faith, let us move forward God, not only in our relationship with you and relationship with others, but God, into the calling that you have for all of us, that place, that position, that destiny. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. So Ephesians 2, Paul is talking to this issue, and there is a lack of unity. There's hostility. In fact, he says it twice. Hostility between Jewish believers and non-Jew believers. Um, and Paul is trying desperately to bring unity. You need to understand the, the, um, 
the gospel, if you will, came to the Gentiles probably about seven years or so. It's Acts chapter 10. So that's about seven years after the resurrection. So it's about seven years of their preaching the gospel uh, to the Jews. And then Acts chapter 10 is where God gives Peter a vision, and it has to do with Cornelius, who is a Gentile, and Peter goes to Cornelius' house and preaches the gospel, and the Holy Spirit falls on them, and then all of a sudden they realize, wow, salvation's come to the Gentiles. So that was about seven years after the resurrection. So you would think, well, now it's commonly accepted. Salvation's come to the Gentiles. Praise the Lord. We're all one big happy family. Except you realize if Paul is writing to the Ephesians about this hostility that exists between Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers, the earliest date probably he could have written it if it it were an Ephesian, if he was in prison in Ephesus, an Ephesian imprisonment would have been about 55 or 56 A.D. If it's the Roman imprisonment, it's 60-61 A.D., which if you can do the math real quick, that's 20 plus years later as as much as 20 years later Paul's still trying to say hey y'all ought to be one big happy family by now and what he's saying is until you become one big happy family then you really can't do what God created this family his family on earth to do and so Paul's talking and, and remember I told you to underline where he talks about God as a father and we need to understand that that first and foremost that our relationship our salvation if you will um, being forgiven of our sins and and trusting in Christ that his sacrifice on the cross paid for everything that I have done wrong and was enough to reconcile me to God that reconciliation is to a God who reveals himself as Father. In fact, the first revelation of God as Father comes in Exodus chapter 4, where he's, he's warning and, and talking to Moses about, I want my, my, my children, if you will, to come out and worship in the wilderness. So you go to Pharaoh and say, let my son... Let my son come into the... And so he's calling Israel, his people, his son or his children. That's the, that's the first place um, that we see the idea of God as a father in the Bible. And then beyond that, you can look at John chapter 14. And, and, and this is what Jesus tells Philip. And the disciples said, hey, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. In other words, I've come to reveal the Father to you. John 20, verse 17, Jesus is praying. I'm sorry, Jesus is risen. He's talking to Mary, and he's like, hey, don't cling to me just yet because I've not ascended to the Father. But he said, go to my brothers and say to them, and look what he says. He says, tell them this. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. I don't know, you know, I understand in our culture the idea of father can be a little complicated, especially in our culture now because it's never been more convoluted and confusing than ever before because I guess I don't, I don't and I don't want to say anything disrespectfully, but with all the gender issues that we have and all the way people are identifying, it completely gets lost. In fact, it seems to me in our culture, we're trying to do away with the idea of mother and father and woman and man. And we're just trying. And, and, and the, re, the reality is God, God gave us both of those. He created them male and female. And in a lot of ways, those male and female um, identities, if you will, are are representations of God's nature. God calls himself or reveals himself as father, not as mother. I actually saw a clip not too long ago where um, 
there was a, it was actually a church service. It, well, I wouldn't, I don't know what I would call it. Um, it represented itself as a church service, but it was actual, I've never heard so much blasphemy uh, because they were doing a thing called the, the Sparkle Creed, which is not a creed. I mean, there's the Nicene Creed, there's the Apostles Creed, there's a lot of creeds in the Bible, but there's no Sparkle Creed. Okay, everybody, if someone's saying, you know, Sparkle Creed, then they're a space cadet, all right? And, and they don't know what they're talking about, but they were talking about God and, and, and the implication was that he was female and Jesus may have been female or something. I mean, it was insane. I want you to understand that God reveals himself as father. He expressed himself on earth as man and woman. And, and there are attributes. In fact, there are attributes we see in, in women and females that are attributes of God because he took himself, expressed himself in Adam, and then divided Adam into male and female. And so you need to understand, I just, ha- just want to say this, that females express the nature of God and males express the nature of God, and they both do it differently, and we need both. I want to make that point and then come back to, but God does express himself or reveal himself as father. And that can be complicated in our culture. Not only just the confusion of our culture, but it could be that people had an absentee father or they had a very unhealthy father in whichever way he might be unhealthy. But here's what I want you just for a moment to make the point. Understand probably everyone, regardless of your experience on earth with an earthly father, everyone could imagine, if you will, a perfect father. And the point that I make, that Paul is making here, that now that we are in Christ and we have accepted Him and received Him and been forgiven, now we we don't just have a God who's on the other side. We we don't have a deistic religion where where there's a God on the other side of the universe, but He's not involved in our life. No, we have a theistic religion, meaning that there is a theistic God who is revealing himself, who is involved in the intricacies of this creation, and he wants to be involved in the very minute details of our life. And so because that is his heart, he doesn't reveal himself just as God, but he reveals himself as a God who says, I'm your father. And as a father, I want to know. And as a father, I want to be there. And as a father, I want to provide for you. And as a father, I want to protect you. And as a father, I want to counsel you. And as a father, I want to comfort you. And as a father, I want to lead you and give you wisdom and give you guidance. I don't want to just sit back on the other side of the universe and hope you figure it out. No, when we take the training wheels off, I'll be there. In fact, I'm the one that put the training wheels on. And on your first date, I'll I'll, I'll make sure, you know, your, your dress looks good. And on prom, I'll make sure your tie's tied right because I'm a God who wants to be involved in every part of your life. And this is an incredible revelation about our God that is so different than any other claim of a God that may exist in our culture is that our God so greatly wants to be involved in in, in the details of our life that he actually became like us and died for us so that he could know us and we could know him. And so he could be that benevolent and loving and ever-present and unconditionally loving father. It's incredible. And so Paul reveals, he says, hey, hey, you have a father. You have a father. But then he says this. If you have a father, think about this. You have a family. See, we get this in the body of Christ. Oh, he's my father. Well, if he's my father and he's your father, that makes us something. Are you with me? I'm just saying at Christmas, I'm going to be there. 
That's what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying, right? Are you, are you with me? Like, if he's your dad and he's my dad, we might as well get comfortable together. We're going to, you know. And that is the point Paul's speaking to. Because he's talking about we have these Jewish Christians, these non-Jewish Christians, and there's this hostility, and everybody's a pagan, everybody's criticizing, and, and I've been circumcised, and you haven't been circumcised. Well, you don't do this, and you and and Paul's like, man, guys, I mean, he's I mean, he's kind of like he's like, come on, guys, one and one and one is three, come together, <laughs> right, right, right. Anyways probably the best analogy that I could get that he's explaining because he says things like, like, you know, um, for instance, uh, he, he says, uh, in verse 14, he has made us both one, right? So he's talking about two that had become one. And then Ephesians two sixteen, we read it and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And then in verse 15, he says, creating himself one new man in place of the two, creating himself one new man. And what I said is you, you could say one new people group uh, instead of the two people groups. In other words, it's, it's this convergence of two rivers. If you've ever seen two separate rivers come together into one river, if you've ever seen that, it was like there were these two obviously very separate rivers that had their own paths, but there was a converging point and those two rivers became one river and the new river wasn't either one of the old rivers. It's now a new river. And that's the point that Paul is making. It's like there was this, th these two men became one man or these two people groups. He's made, made for himself one new people group out of two people groups. Um, one of the best analogies I could give of this, um, uh, because I'm a pastor and as a pastor, you do a lot of weddings. Um, I've, I've been to a lot of weddings. Y'all I've been to really good weddings. I've been to really interesting weddings. We won't talk about those, but if you go to enough weddings, how many know sometimes you go and you're like, Hmm, never thought of that. Mm, it's interesting. Anyways, I've seen a lot of interesting things happen. A lot of things go wrong at weddings. Those are kind of I have all those. I mean, I've seen, you know, the, the, the rings get locked in the trunk of a rental car. I mean, I've, I've seen all kinds of things um, that make things exciting. Um, but, um, but at weddings, a lot of times in the ceremony, uh, they'll have some type of unity uh, activity. That's what we'll call it, right? So most, most, most commonly people know there's unity candles. Are you with me? But I've seen this done with a lot of sand. I've seen it done with a lot of different things. But the idea of the unity candle, if, if, if you remember, um, there's like two separate candles, little, and then a bigger candle in the middle, right? Are, are you with me, right? I know I've done a lot of weddings, but surely you've been. I've done, I've done so many weddings. If you need to get married today, just come by. I don't have to study. I'm ready right now. Okay. Okay. Um, right. Um, but the bride and the groom will come up and, and the individual candles are representative of their individual lives. And, and so they will both, you know, while there's, you know, like the Lord's Prayer or something in the background playing, um, you know, Celine Dion. I don't know. Depends on the wedding. I've, I've heard it all. Um, you know, but they will take those individual candles and they will light the, the one candle in the middle. And then they will extinguish the two candles. And now the two candles, right, have converged into one candle and they're no longer two separate flames because they extinguish those. There's one flame. Is anybody familiar with that? Are you with me? It's exactly the point Paul's making. He's saying we have come into the body and we all have one father. And we have converged in Christ into something new. And it is no longer you and yours. And it's no longer me and mine. It is now us and ours. He's making that kind of point to these two people groups that are not doing very well at getting along anyway. Right? 
But he's saying this is part of what happens. You love the blessing of a father. But you need to understand the blessing of the father is also the blessing of a family. And my concern ultimately in, in Christendom today, in church life today, especially in the churches that are the nons, and what I mean by that is non-denominational, and categorically that's where we land, even though I don't like that. I don't like the description. I like spirit-empowered evangelical a lot better than non. I don't want to be identified as not being something. Just me personally. Amen. And so anyways, right? And so, so but we get classified however we get classified. And, and my concern more than ever is that everybody's like, okay, I love being a child of God, but we forget me being a child of God makes me a brother to the other children of God. And, and my concern is that we've even, we've even, we've even emphasized and, and, and celebrated being a son or a daughter of God, and we've shunned being a brother or sister in Christ. And we've said, this has value, but this not. I like this, but this, I don't like this. And, and part, of, part of that, I think, is, well, I would say most of that, actually, is, is not that the people did anything wrong. I think the pastors are doing some things wrong, me included. And, and, and I'll, I could talk about that. I don't know how much I'll share on that. But let me just go on to say this. That I think what God has burdened me with, especially at Pathway, which makes a day like today so incredible to me, is that as a church, if we believe in the Bible, we have to get back to the value of family. Let me say that again. As a church, if we believe in the Bible, we have to get back to the value of family. And we have to say, well, if I'm part of the family of God, we used to sing that together <laughs> in the church. Anybody know that song? I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Anybody else sing that one? Yeah. We sang that one, or you're my brother and you're my sister, when people in the church were fighting about something. We'd get together and hold hands and sing, you're my brother, you're my sister. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Y'all never went to those services, did you? Anyways, that's, a, that's just trauma from my childhood. It's okay. But anyways, <laughs> um, but... But the point is there used to be a value, a value placed on being a part of the family of God. And this is the value that Paul is placing on the Ephesians. In fact, he's saying if you don't embrace this value, you can't really embrace your calling. And if you really don't engage in this opportunity, you really can't be and become who God wants you to be. Remember, we're in the first part of Ephesians. Remember what I told you about the first part of Ephesians? It's about our position in Christ, and our position in Christ means we've been positioned in a family, and being in position in a family means we have some brothers and sisters running around. And so he's talking about our position, and he's trying to get to our practice, which is the next three chapters, or our chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians. But he's saying, hey, if we don't understand this idea of unity, and if we don't understand this idea that two have come together and become one and we're now a family, we can't even move on. In fact, it's going to stifle our growth because, he, and I'll read it here in a minute, but he starts talking about how we're joined together and we've built up and we're growing up into this spiritual house. And here's what he's ultimately saying is that you can't become who God be created you to become individually and you can't be who God created you to be corporately if you don't embrace the fact that you've been unified in a family in Christ. 
And so he's saying, hey, this is a blessing. It's the blessing of a father, and it's the blessing of a family, right? And then we have to understand this, that the blessing of a family, how many think it's blessed to be in a family? Like if you've ever been in a good family or you visit somebody, maybe in college, they man, they had a great family. What a blessing that was. With family, there's blessings, and I'm going to end with some of the blessings of family. But I want you to understand, here's why he's saying, the blessing of the father is the blessing of family. And let me just, let me just, say something very plainly. You can't love the father and reject his family. And I think John makes this very clear when he says, don't tell me you love God if you don't love people. And so we need to understand that in our culture, there seems to be a value of autonomy um, being, being my own me, making my own category, being my own thing, making my own decisions, living my best life, right? right? And, and there is this value of, of autonomy to where I don't want to depend on anybody. I don't want to be a part of anything necessarily. I, I want to be my own thing, do my own thing, be my own person. And, and there's this value in our culture, and that is an antichrist value. Meaning that value does not come from God. Because what I just read to you says, if you're a believer, you have a father. If you have a father, you have a family. And there's a blessing of a father and there's a blessing of a family. And and let me go a little bit farther to say, because here's really what I want to talk to, is there's a blessing of family and that's wonderful. And I'm going to come back to that. But let me talk just a minute about the responsibility of family. Because how many know with family comes some responsibility? Right? If you don't believe me, have a kid. Right? Like, or have five of them with four of them in college. And you'll realize we're going to be broke. But with family comes responsibility. It's kind of like, you know, when, when Jan and I, we have a blended family. And when, when we decided this was probably a, a very serious relationship and more than that, then it was important, you know, at, at, up until that time, we, um, I, I wouldn't say we kept the kids out of it because they were completely aware of what was going on. Um, but we, we didn't want to, you know, there's a way you honor kids and care for kids even though you're the parent. I hope that makes sense. And so we didn't want to force or push anything on the kids, nor did we want to provide any uh, instability. We'd both worked very hard at trying to stabilize our children uh, after everything that had happened. And, and so, but when we got to that place, what we knew is, well, we can't go farther um, without the kids being involved. There comes a place where they have to be involved because we're all going to be a family. And, and she's going to have more kids and I'm going to have more kids uh, through this union. And, um, and, and so with that, there's some responsibility, right? Um, and with that, there's some understanding. And with that, there's some value. And so we started doing things together as family, meeting family and hanging out and kids and all that. And, and God really worked in that. But one thing we had to understand that she had to understand and I had to understand was, hey, I love you. And she's like, I know you love me, but I come with two kids. And I'm like, you love me, and I know you love me, but I come with three kids. I win. <laughs> and, so, and so we realized that, hey, being together, for me, I realized being together means that my, my new son may text and say, how do you get on Hulu? Because I want to watch the OU game. And it's okay to be on Hulu, but to use it to watch Oklahoma, I had to get used to. You understand what I'm saying? Hook them. That's all I'm saying. Fight, Texas, fight. I had to get that in. Jan is an OU fan. Y'all pray for her. 
pray for her. <laughs> Anyways, um, we were in a struggle yesterday, y'all, because her game was at five and my game was at six. And did y'all see us beat Alabama? Anyways, um, but the point is that family, family brings responsibility. And I think sometimes in the body of Christ, and, and I, I, I want you to understand two things, that God does everything for a reason. And when God reveals himself a certain way, it's for a reason. And when he reveals himself that he is a father, then he is revealing that we are a family because God is trying to help us understand the relationships and the responsibilities and, and even the commitment that he wants us to have as family. My concern is, and, and I'll just say it this way, I think where pastors have failed the church, especially in the nons, is we, we, we bought into the church growth movement. Now, I think God wants to grow churches. Pathway is currently growing. I thank God for that. But growing a church is not actually the command of God. In fact, it's not even the business of the pastor. The business of the pastor is growing the people. Are you with me? God called me to grow people, not grow churches. In fact, I remember very clearly Jesus Christ explicitly said to Peter and the disciples, I will build my church. And I think the problem is as pastors, because we want to do well and we want to help people, I don't think it's badly motivated. I just think we have to be careful that what we're doing is biblical and not just culturally sound. Does that make sense? And pastors wanted to build big churches. So what do you do if you build a big church? Well, I want to appeal to more people. So I need to design a church that people will come to when really we were supposed to build a church that God would come to. So we have a lot of pastors serving the idol of people. And a lot of people worshiping the idol of self, and all of that's drifted into the church. And I just said a whole lot you could write a book on, and it's true, right? And so, and I've been just as guilty as everybody else. So just hear me on this. I've been just as guilty as everybody else. I just think I'm older and wiser now. And now I see a value on building people and letting God build the church because I don't need an attendance number to validate my existence. What I need to be is in a spiritual family, and I have one here. And the way I learned as a spiritual family as a pastor was walk through the hardest time of my life and realize these people are not just my parishioners. These are my people. These are my family. And they love me even at my worst, right? And they love me when I'm a big hot mess. You understand? And so the value that I see in my old age, and I'm not old, I turn 24 next week, um, but the value that I see in my, in my old age is that we need to value family, and my concern is a lot of pastors trying to reach people, they've really made the church very consumeristic because we've tried to figure out what songs do we sing to get people to come? What do we do to get people to come? What do we preach? Or better yet, what do we not talk about so we can include more people? I was devastated to, to hear of a, a, a very well-known pastor with a very large church um, this weekend was holding an inclusive conference championing the LGBT agenda in his church and inviting spokespeople from the LGBT community to speak at it. I was devastated because it's, I'm not against the LGBTQ, not at all, but the Bible's the Bible, right? The Bible's the Bible. And, and I, I, I mean, pick any sin from the Bible, we wouldn't have a conference to try to prove it was okay. doesn't matter. I, would, I wouldn't have... Any, and, and I don't want to make any analogies because it would seem 
imprudent, I think, to me at the time. But just pick a sin. I would not have a conference to endorse that sin at my church. But essentially, that's exactly what happened. And, and, and what I'm saying is there's that pressure on pastors. And so we've made church all about the individual people. But the, what's been lost in that, and this is my point, what's been lost in that is the value of family. Because now, if I'm a parishioner, I think church is about me. I go when I need something, right? I, I go when, it's, when, it's, when it works out for me. I, I, I want to hear the songs that I want to sing. And if the pastor doesn't preach what I want to hear, I kind of get upset. They don't sing the song I want to sing. I don't worship. And I'm not saying that represents anyone's idea. A lot of that is hyperbole to make the point of this, that pastors have driven the idea of a consumer, consumeristic church. But a consumeristic church, when you market to consumers, you make it narcissistic. You make it about them. Let me just give you one way you can buy your hamburger. You can have it your way. Well, that's where I want to eat my burger. Why? Because they'll do it exactly my way. And if they don't do it my way, I'm going to another burger barn. And my concern is that if God has really placed us, the Bible says he places the solitary or the lonely in families. And so part of being in Christ is he has put us in a family. And if God has put us in this church, then we as a church, listen to me, I want to do something different than mainstream Christianity. And that is I want to stop being a consumer and start being a family. Are you with me? And I want to start be. I, I want to stop being uh, the pastor, and I just want to be a brother and sister. Well, no, I can't be a sister, but you understand what I'm saying. Janet can be your sister. I'll be your brother. I'm not confused about who I am. I'm a brother all the way through. I'm, I'm your guy. You understand? Anyways, that was really awkward. Thank y'all for not bailing me out on that. Y'all are like you saddled it. You ride it. Like, really, no one's cell phone could go off at that moment? Why is it the moment I need a distraction? But my point is that with family comes responsibility, and we're a family. And that responsibility works itself out in a lot of different ways. But when I'm a family, I don't leave if my feelings get hurt. If I'm a family, I don't talk bad about everybody else. If I'm a family and there's a problem, I go to people and talk about it. I remember one of the times Jana asked a question. It was about a situation we were dealing with. And it didn't make sense to her because she was raised in, in, the, in a Baptist tradition. And, and, and the comment was made, well, this particular family, I mean, this is the eighth church they've been to in the last you know, four years. And she's like, I don't understand that. I'm like, well, in East Texas, especially around non-denominational churches, People change churches about as often as they change their socks is the way it feels sometimes if you're on this side. And, and I'm not saying there's never a good reason to change a church. That's not, not what I'm saying. I'm not trying to be ugly. I was making the point that if you're really family, you don't just run the first time. You don't like something. It's too cold. They didn't sing a hymn that Sunday. You know, or you have a disagreement in your life group, and it's like, well, I'm just out of here. Well, how about you help us? We'll work, we'll work that out because we're family. Like, I mean, I live in a family. Y'all live in a family. We don't leave the family just because something happened. Why? Because there's a value of family there. And there's a, there's a value, and then there's a responsibility. And what Paul is saying, listen to me, listen to me. Because, see, families have benefits, and families have responsibility. And there's blessings in family. And come on, somebody, listen to me. Sometimes there's challenges in family. Right? And, and we want to be honest say there's challenges in family. And we want to help you. And we will talk with you. And we're highly relational here. 
But I'm just saying, I understand that. But we don't leave the family when it's good. We don't leave the family when it's bad. We, we don't leave the family if everything's not going our way. We don't leave the family if something's happened right. No, we invest back in the family and we talk through things and we work things out. And Paul's trying to say, we've got to stop with the hostility and become a family. Now, time out. I'm, by the way, not preaching this message because I know of any problems in our church. Okay, I, maybe I just need to say that. I'm, I don't correct problems from the pulpit. If there's a problem, I'll call you. That's how I know I'm correct. You'll know I'm correcting the problem. Are you with me? So I just want to make the point, as far as I know, we don't have problems right now, but this is a value that I'm trying to set. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Um, and so my point is that with that comes this value of family. Now, Paul, when he's talking here, this is, this is the benefit of family that I want to talk about. So there's responsibility and the benefit, but you need to understand that where we're called to be responsible is also where we benefit. Hear what I'm saying? This is the amazing thing about family. When I'm responsible to family, I benefit from family. You see what I'm saying? Um, Paul, when he's writing, he uses this word household of God, this word household. And the word household, the, the root word is oikos, kind of like the yogurt, but it's because it, it is Greek, everybody, right? Oikos. But, but that, <laughs> that word is, and he uses a lot for building. In fact, it's interesting, he uses it here for building, and then he talks about how we're being made into a temple, but he said we're a growing temple. Right? Think about that. Because do buildings grow? No, this is more organic, right? So the point that Paul is making without taking you through all the language and, and the etymology of the word and all that is he's making this, this root word that he uses, and he uses it a lot more than any, really any New Testament writer uses it. Paul uses this word. And it really means, um, it's where we get our word uh, ecology or ecosystem. And and if you understand an ecosystem, an ecosystem is an interdependent system. So whether it's a rainforest or we could just say the world and the earth and how, for instance, um, the plants make oxygen, we make carbon dioxide. You see what I'm saying? So, so we need the plants to make oxygen, the trees and all, and they need us to make carbon dioxide. And so we all exist together and everybody benefits from one another. That's an ecological system, if you will. Are you with me? So what Paul is calling the body of Christ is an ecological system. What does that mean? It means you need essentially what I bring to the family and I need what you bring to the family. And it is in the sharing of our, our, if you will, our abilities or our gifts or our talents or, or just our benevolence or our love or our kindness. It's in those type of nutrients, if you will, that we share back and forth, right? And it forms this symbi symbiotic relationship to where not only I grow and you grow, but the whole body grows. That's exactly what he's describing here. And that's exactly what he describes. He, he further builds on this idea in Ephesians chapter 4 when he's talking. And I'll read it just in a minute. But it's the whole body working together by whatever joint supplies. It's the same picture. And so here's what he's saying. He's like, guys, if you're not in family, you're not sharing spiritual resources. You're not sharing spiritual gifts. You're not, you're not sharing love and kindness and joy and encouragement and teaching and admonishment. And you're not sharing those things 
so you're not growing and the body's not growing. So guys, I brought these two rivers together to unify them as a family under a father because when we come together and really become family, it's a blessing and it's a responsibility. But when I accept that I'm responsible to you, right, and you're responsible to me, right, and I bless you and encourage you and you bless me and encourage me and we grow together, then I grow, you grow, and the body grows. And that's what Paul's trying to explain. It's an incredible picture. In fact, another phrase that Paul uses more than anybody else is interpreted in our Bible, one another, one another. It's a fun Bible study if you just want to read it. But let me just show you, let me show you a few, right? And I'll just go through a list. 1 Corinthians 12, care for one another, right? 2 Corinthians 13, comfort one another. Galatians 5, serve one another. Ephesians 4, put up with one another. Come on, somebody, that's my verse. Y'all going to have to put up with me. Ephesians 4, be kind to one another. Ephesians 4, forgive one another. Colossians 3, exhort one another. Colossians 3, teach one another. 1 Thessalonians 4, encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, do good to one another. Paul, Paul is, is at pains trying to explain this symbiotic relationship that happens in the family of God where I encourage you and you encourage me. And, and when you need to be comforted, I can come and, and there's something that I can do there. And when, when I need to be encouraged, you can come. There's something. And then when you don't understand something, I can come and teach something. And when, when I need, then you, you can come and teach me something or whatever the case may be. And it's this working together. But interesting enough, if you read all of those things, all of those are things we want to receive and equally they are things we are called to give. I don't know about you, but I want comfort and I want, um, I want to be you know, cared for and I want people to be kind. I want to be forgiven. These are all things that, that I receive in family. But just as I receive them, I'm called to give them. In Ephesians chapter 4, I'll close with this, but in Ephesians chapter 4, Building on this idea and this imagery, using the metaphor of the body, Paul says, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies, according to the effective working which each part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And that's, that's kind of the way family works, is each part does its share. And pathway to me... This is my burden and my hope for us, not just on groups day, but next Sunday too, and the next Sunday, and the next Monday, and the next Tuesday, and the next Thursday, and right, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday. Who would ever thought the Godfather would make it into a sermon? Anyways, the point is, this is my point, is I want us to embrace the value of family. A lot of times, I want us to think about this because Paul says, when you come and gather, one brings a psalm and one brings a scripture and one brings a prayer, essentially. My thought is, what if we, we got out of the idea that church was there when I needed it and got into the idea that church is a family I'm responsible to be, to, to be I'm responsible to. And I'm going to be there even if I don't, maybe I'm having a great day and I could just sleep in. No, I'm going to go. Because me being there, I could encourage someone else. I could build someone else up. You know, to me, this is why I want everyone on a serve team because it reinforces this value. This morning, we had a serve team huddle at 745 this morning. 
And the serve team that was kicking off the day at the, at the 815 was there. And we had a lot of people in the room that are on serve team. And when you looked in that room, what you realize is these are the people that, that really understand, to me, the value of bringing and investing in. Because they weren't here this morning because they needed to be here. They were here this morning because you were going to be here. To me, that's the idea of family. I don't just always come because I need something. I come because someone else may need what I have. Right? I don't just get in a group because I need to be in a group. I get in a group because I might be able to bless someone else. Maybe I don't need to be comforted, but maybe somebody else does. Maybe right now I don't need care, but somebody else does. And those are ideas not of life groups, even though that's the, one of the ways we do them. Not of pathway church. Those are not the ideas of Marty Strait, and he's trying to get me to do something today. You have to understand, that's the idea of God. That he reveals himself as father and says, you are my family. And family has tremendous blessing, has tremendous benefit, but it also has tremendous responsibility. And Pathway, I want us to become a church of family. Are you with me? Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to ask our our prayer team to come. And I'm just going to pray for us. And then I want everyone, today is group Sunday. I want, I'd love for everyone to, to find a group, to find your people, to find your tribe, to find your family. And you can do that sweet 109 and go hang out, meet new people, eat some free food. There's activities for the kids. But Pathway, even beyond today, I want us to really hold on to the concept that we are family. We are family together. And if you don't feel like you're family today, I understand. I've, I've had those feelings too. But come talk to us. Get connected. Talk to a pastor. Get it. Find, it, find a group. Find a way to where you feel family, feel connected. Nobody else, you can come talk to me, right? I'll be around. Come talk to me. But let's be family. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God, for what you're speaking to us today. Lord, I just pray over pathway that, that we become family. Lord, help us to see the value. Yes, the benefit, but also even the responsibility. And God, I pray you would use each of us and we would all do our part, do our share. Lord, to see the body of Christ become all that it could be. Lord, I pray today you'd help people find their group, those that are looking. God, I pray a blessing over all of our leaders in our groups today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Listen, we're out a little bit early. Get your kids. Get down to Sweet 109. Hang out, eat some food, find a group. If you need prayer, we would love to pray for you still. We're here. If you're online, you can text uh, pray with me to 9400 or 94,000. We'll pray with you. But God bless you. We love you. I love you. You're my family. Have an incredible day. Hey, Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app. And we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also... Uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look, 
Our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.